But the expanded landscape means that a quality team who feels a certain incongruence with where they are is much more likely to explore and find their version of perfection. And from where I sit as a facilitator of those deals, that's about as exciting as it gets. Welcome to the Fueling Deals Podcast, the podcast that teaches how to accelerate your business growth through all types of deals. It's time to fuel up, so buckle in with your host, Corey Kupfer. There are only two ways to grow your business, organically through sales, marketing, and providing great products and services, and inorganically through deals. Too many companies focus only on the first way, organic growth. Welcome to the podcast, which will help accelerate your business growth inorganically. My guests are a huge variety of deal makers and experts on all types of deals who have personal experience that can help you grow, get clear, learn best practices, and avoid mistakes. We discuss everything from large, complex mergers and acquisitions to smaller deals that you can do even without significant capital. My guest today is Mindy Diamond. Mindy is the founder, president, and CEO of Diamond Consultants. She's a consultant, recruiter, thought leader, coach, trainer, champ for personal growth, and a, and a life of congruence. I love that last part of, uh, of that headline of your bio, Mindy. Welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm honored to be here. Thanks very much. That's great. So, uh, you know, before we get into uh, what you uh, what you're doing now and Diamond Consultants and the types of deals that you uh, that you do, I want to take you back. Um, and when you were a little kid growing up, uh, what did you want to be? Because my guess is it probably wasn't uh, a recruiter, but maybe I'm wrong. Yeah, no, no, no. I wouldn't have even known a how to spell recruiter or what a recruiter was. Of course not. And you know, I've always said it's been such a wonderful career for me. But it's not even a major in college or something that's even on anybody's radar when you're in school. So I fell into it by accident. I'm not sure I ever really had any idea what I wanted to be. I had a pretty authoritarian father who told me he wanted me to be an accountant, and it never occurred to me to do anything. Thing other than that. So I went to school to become an accountant and I decided I hated it um, after doing it for a few short months and then became a recruiter for accountants almost by accident, but it wound up being serendipity. Oh, I, I love it. And, and what would you consider your first real business? Was it Diamond Consultants or did you have anything uh, prior to that? No. So I, um, when you're a recruiter, even if you work as an employee and you don't own the business, you really are running your own business. So I was, um, a recruiter for, in the accounting field for seven years, had done that very successfully. I was probably from the time I was say 23 till the time I was about 30 when I had my first child. And that first child, by the way, works with us now. So that's pretty exciting. But, um, but, I, even though I didn't own the business, I worked for someone. I really, every deal I did, I owned. So I've always sort of thought of myself as an entrepreneur. Now I happen to own the business, but even when I didn't, I felt like I did. That's great. And one of the reasons I'm really excited to, uh, about having you on the show is, uh, and, and not, to, not to say anything negative about recruiters in general and, and recruiting itself is, is a kind of deal where you're placing somebody. But you, you know, listen, we, we've worked together over the years. Uh, on a number of things. And, and what I, I think um, uh, you know, you're especially great at is uh, it's not just a placement for you. You know, uh, y- you really think of it in terms of a deal and what all the aspects are and what the best situations are for your clients. And 
uh, you know, so uh, I'm excited to have that perspective on the show. Yeah, thank you for noticing that because that really is the key for me. And even when I worked as a recruiter for accounting and I was in a much more transactional kind of role, it was much more about quantity than quality. Even then, I sort of realized that a deal only gets made if it's meant to get made. And it should never be about selling anybody into anything. It should be about understanding what's important to someone and helping them sort of figure out how to get it if it's meant to be. And I think that I'd like to think anyway that that differentiates sort of my approach from many other more transactional focused recruiters in the field. So great. Let's uh, let the audience know a little, you know, a bit more about Diamond Consultants and uh, you know what you guys do and the scope of services provide in the industries. And uh, you know, I, I'd really love them to hear more about you. Sure. Thank you for asking. So, I am president of Diamond Consultants. We are an executive search and consulting firm based in Morristown, New Jersey, and New York City, that works with financial advisors around the country, helping them to figure out how they want to live their business life. So, whether that be to practice at a Merrill Lynch or Morgan Stanley or something of the like, or one of the trends today is a lot of financial advisors going some version of independence. We are 14 people strong. Um, I started the business literally on my bedroom floor 20 years ago, and it's really grown into something I'm incredibly proud of today. And we work with financial advisors of all shapes and sizes. Great. So in in those kind of deals, um, you know, in Obviously, when you're when you're placing somebody at a at a warehouse or an independent broker dealer versus a uh, you know supporting them to join an independent firm, um, you know th- those kind of deals look look different, right? Some of them are employment deals. Uh, some of them they're coming in as partners potentially getting equity. So, talk to me a little bit about the range of types of deals that you see and uh, and help advise clients on. Yeah. So it's really morphed in the last number of years. So when I started the business twenty years ago probably 99% of the deals that I did was um, an advisor who was working at Merrill Lynch or Morgan Stanley at UBS who was looking to move to another equally big brokerage firm. But in the last decade or so, the industry landscape has expanded exponentially. And as I mentioned before, there's been a real trend of advisors going independent, meaning going out and creating cup for wealth management or something of the sort and custodying assets with a third-party custodian in an ability to really customize and create a bespoke experience for their clients. So... Um, the deals that we did 10, 20, 20 years ago, 10 to 20 years ago, was all what we call wirehouse to wirehouse, big brokerage firm to big brokerage firm. In the last five years, many more of the deals that we're doing are advisors moving away from the big firms and toward either building their own wealth management firm or joining a boutique firm like Rockefeller Wealth Management just launched a new firm. And so, and then it's, we also do a lot of deals within the independent space. So then you've got um, a whole cadre of um, already established independent firms that need to solve for scale or succession or or have hit some sort of limit in terms of capacity or capital. And so then we're doing a lot of the M&A deals within the space as well. That's great. Um yeah, so so Mindy, in, in those various types of deals, right? Obviously, uh, you know, it's very different when somebody is uh, joining an existing uh, independent RA firm and they may be coming in 
as a as a hire, or they may be coming in as a partner. Um, you know, what what do you see uh, in those types of deals on you know on the on the different structures, and and what are the clients' concerns when they're thinking about making that kind of move? Well, if by client you mean our clients, the financial advisors, so what they're concerned about is one of the first things we always ask, probably the first question is talk to us about the things that motivate you, the drivers, and those drivers fall into two combination of two categories, pushes and pulls. The pushes are the what's frustrating you, what's pushing you out the door, what are the limitations, the things that are keeping you from being who and what you want to be and growing the way you want to. We tell people all the time that it's never good enough to make a move or do a deal just because of the pushes. We think that there needs to be the an equal amount of pulls, a, a reason that you're moving towards something, not just away for something. Because in the end, you need to be able to make a strong case, not that you're making the move just for your own personal gain or betterment, but financial advisors service a book of clients and they need to convince those clients that they're moving for their betterment. So the pulls need to be equally strong. So once an advisor, we often help an advisor to really clearly define what the drivers are, what are the motivations, the things you're looking to solve for, what are your five to 10 year goals, what do you, what do you need in terms of succession planning, um, how much capital or liquidity do you need up front, how important is growth. Uh, how how confident are you in your pipeline and your historical growth and a million other questions like that. And then I find that the solutions, sort of the appropriate opportunities, very easily and clearly manifest from there. Now, we have a good understanding of the waterfall of possibilities and the waterfall of possibilities sort of easily comes into view the short list of appropriate options for that advisor, once the more clearly he really defines, he or she defines the list of drivers or objectives. Yeah, that really makes sense. And especially with, uh, you know, I mean, the firms that are doing one-offs, maybe not, but, you know, the firms that are, uh, that are real uh, acquirers, certainly aggregators, or even firms that, you know, you may not look at as aggregators, but firms that have done, done a number of deals, if they're doing it right, uh, you know, they have a model or, you know, maybe a couple of variations on a model, but they have a clear way they do deals. They know who they're looking for. Uh, they know, uh, you know, uh, how the deals are structured. And so it totally makes sense to me that if you get clarity on from the advisor side on really what they're looking for, uh, you know, and on the pushes and the polls that it becomes, you know, and, and, and you're great at knowing the landscape in the industry and what uh, the potential companies that could bring these people in, whether it's an acquisition or hire or, you know, equity partnership deal, uh, you know, uh, you become very familiar with those models. Uh, it does become very clear on, on what the scope of options are that fit the criteria. Yeah. And, you know, I think to take that one step further, there are no shortage of buyers in this industry. Everybody fancies themselves a buyer. You know, to be able to, in our business, to be able to purchase an annuitized stream of revenue. So an advisor or a business whose business is mostly all fee-based is, you know, the, the golden ticket, the home run, and everybody wants to buy them. So we get calls all the time from would-be buyers that would like to do a deal that are looking to grow by acquisition. And when you begin to ask them, so what's your secret sauce? What is it that differentiates you from your competition? Said another way, 
why would or should an advisor or a business sell themselves to you? What is it you're going to do to help them get there faster, whatever their there is, or grow or hit their goals faster or better or more efficiently than somebody else? It's amazing to me how many people can answer that question. Because just because you want to buy doesn't mean you should buy or you're going to be successful doing so. Yeah, and it, it, I come across the same thing, Minnie. And it's funny, funny they, you know, uh, uh, in response to that question, they'll often say to me, well, you know, we're, we're a really great place to work and we really care about our clients. And I always say to them, do you think anybody else says any different? That's not a differentiator, you know? Right. That's the price of admission. That's the, you know, that's the the threshold, the bottom, the bare requirements, the bare minimum. What's interesting and what's also interesting worth noting is that advisor sentiment has, the seller sentiment has really changed in the last number of years. So um, one, it's very much a seller's market because everybody fancies themselves a buyer. The competition is really pretty stiff and most sellers have their have their choice. And so the key to success for a seller is again really clearly know thyself, being self-aware, being honest, and being really rigorous about laying out the drivers. And again, the clearer you are, the more likely you are to sort of come up with the most appropriate short list of options. When I talk about the change in advisor sentiment, I'm talking about sentiment, meaning the things that drive a seller. What are the things that makes a seller want to do a deal or want to change the status quo? And when I started the business 20 years ago, the greatest motivator was short-term monetization looking in some way to take some chips off the table to monetize the business in the short run. And while nobody who's doing a deal wouldn't want to protect their downside or de-risk a transaction, um, as long as the long-term economics make sense, the big picture, it's much less about short-term upside. And that's incredibly gratifying for me as a deal maker because one, I think it's as it should be. And two, it means ultimately it's better for the clients. If their advisors are doing a deal thinking about what's right overall as opposed to being motivated simply by you know the best economics in the short term for the advisor that's to me is a much better win-win for all constituencies yeah so many you used a, a term earlier you know you, you uh, just in this uh, last couple of minutes uh, called self-awareness and um, you know I'm a big believer in that as well and I, I sort of tie that to that part of the uh, your bio that I uh, where I said I loved it uh, as a champion for personal growth and a life of congruence. And then you also have this concept uh, of best business life that you talk about. So I'd love you to expand on that and how that affects how you, uh, you know, how you run your firm, but also how you work with, uh, with, with, with the advisors and clients uh, in helping them make these decisions. Yeah, I love that question because that's what I'm all about. So whether it be because I'm 56 and, you know, sort of have come to view my own life a little differently than I might have 10, 15 years ago, or whether it be just because I've spent a lifetime professionally counseling people on how they want to live their business life. I think that while certainly the economics of a deal absolutely need to make sense, and if they don't, you're not going to do the deal. But you can never, one, look at any one aspect of a deal in a vacuum, including the economics. So said another way, 
no deal should ever be made simply because of the economics or only because of the economics. The economics should be one of the reasons why you choose to do a deal and who you choose to do it with. To me, a deal, a good deal should start with, or the motivations that for the deal should start with, what floats my boat? Who am I and what am I about? What feels good to me? So in our world, if I'm talking to an advisor that works for Merrill Lynch and he talks to me about the fact that he's being pushed to sell bank products and his payout's been cut and he's expected to grow his business or do certain things, bring in certain banking referrals or do certain things for clients that he's doing not necessarily because he thinks it's in the best interest of the client, but more because if he doesn't do those things, he loses X amount of comp. That is the perfect example of incongruence of where a potential seller or an advisor in my case, a candidate in my case, would look at a situation and say, is this situation really best serving me? Is the situation congruent with who I am? Do my values continue to match the values of the firm with whom I work? And we tell people all the time, as long as they match, that's great because the path of least resistance in any situation is to stay the course. But unfortunately, and I can't speak to any other industry, but I can definitely talk about the wealth management industry. There's a whole lot of incongruence going on and incongruence between what the, what an advisor believes is right or best um, and what a firm may think is best. Um, there's a whole lot of incongruence going on. And that's what I talk about a lot. Yeah, and and you know it's one of the things I sort of alluded this uh, to this early in the uh, in the podcast when I just talked about why I uh, like working with you on the deals we've worked on together, but also you know why I, I view you as different than a lot of recruiters because this is not a conversation um, you know that uh, and listen I, I don't want to you know I don't want to there are other good people out there but but like in any business uh, it's easy for it to become transactional right. Even on the not only on the uh, on the uh, client side, meaning the advisor side, but on the recruiter side, where you know I place somebody, I get a fee, uh, and the more people I place, the more fees I get. Um, so to bring this conversation in uh, in a way that, frankly, I've seen it where you know uh, with you, where you've advised people not to do a deal, uh, where obviously you would get paid a commission if they did it because. You know, you didn't think it aligned uh, properly with them, and I was uh, always impressed by that. Oh, hundred percent. Because I, I believe what goes around comes around. I believe, I believe very strongly in karma, and I absolutely it sounds corny, but believe I would always want to treat people the way I would expect them to treat me, and I'm so repulsed by salespeople that are clearly only in it for their own personal financial gain or just to make a transaction. And I'll tell you that it's certainly easier for me to talk somebody out of a deal or um, less challenging for me to talk somebody out of a deal now at 56 when I'm more mature and have been working for many years. But I even had that philosophy when I was 23 and certainly needed the money and was in a very different you know, financial space. And um, But I can't tell you how much good has come out of guiding people the right way, even when it meant I talked myself out of a fee, because almost all the time it winds up coming back, whether it be whether that person ultimately decides to move or work with me 10 years later, or they'll give me a referral or just 
you noticed, you worked with me, you noticed, and you're very likely to say something nice about me. And that means the world to me in terms of my reputation, et cetera. So to me, it's the only way to do business. Yeah, you you and I are very aligned on that. So uh, that's great. So what else are you seeing? I mean, listen, we, you know, we uh, this this area that uh, you know you focus on, and and I have a, a good portion of you know of my practice not exclusively, but I, I spend a lot of time in the wealth management space. Uh, you know, it's really an interesting evolving space. Uh, there's everything from uh, uh, you know the, just the trend to independence, which has been you know around for a while, to uh, continuing technology, to all these different players that are coming into the space, to uh, significant amounts of capital that are coming into the space in terms of private equity and even, you know, some other players going public, new players in the space. You, you mentioned Rockefeller earlier and they've come on, come on really with a bang. I mean, they're, they're, they've recruited some phenomenal uh, executives and done a number of deals pretty quickly. Um, so I'd love to hear, you know, your perspective on some of these uh, changes and what I uh, view as a quickly maturing industry and how that affects some of the things that you do and uh, some of the things that advisors should be looking out, uh, you know, for. Yeah. So uh, to say that, you know, there's been a lot of change is an understatement. And what's interesting is all of the change has happened. If you think about the industry as a horizontal line, a continuum, if you will, all of the change has happened in the industry landscape that's from sort of the midline, the quasi-independent model to full-on independence. It's where capital players have come in. It's where many wirehouse executives, longtime you know, bank brokerage leaders have moved to. Um, it's where the puck is heading in terms of most advisor movement. Um, it's where this ecosystem has built and expanded over the years. And so to me, that's incredibly exciting. And it means a couple of things. One, it means that as advisor sentiment changes and the way it's changed is that advisors have come to really value freedom and control probably more than anything. So while, yes, protecting their upside or their downside um, in the short run is always a part of the equation, it's rarely the only driver for a deal. And 20 years ago, it really may have been. So I think that that's refreshing all the way around. But this change of advisor sent of in advisor sentiment married with this um, expanded ecosystem and landscape means that there are many more options and opportunities available for a quality advisor. So what does that mean? It means that a quality advisor or team is much less likely to feel stuck because 10 years ago, if that advisor or team would have been equally frustrated or inclined to move, but they didn't believe that moving from Merrill to UBS was anything but a lateral move, the only other option really was to just stay put. And so there were a lot of folks that got caught up in inertia. But the expanded landscape means that a quality team who feels a certain incongruence with where they are is much more likely to explore and find their version of perfection. And from where I sit as a facilitator of those deals, that's about as exciting as it gets. It's good news for everyone. Yeah, it, it absolutely is. And uh, and on the flip side, I'm sure you're, you have found over the last number of years as I have, because I get all these questions and it actually, you know, it makes um, what you do, I think, even more crucial is it also becomes in some ways a more confusing landscape, right? Because there are the more options you have. I mean, you know, back back in the day, 20 years ago, when you were talking about it, although the options were limited, it was, it was also pretty clear and simple what your options are. Now, there's all kinds of possibilities of what you can do. And I find this, uh, especially with, uh, 
you know, advisors that are uh, that have, haven't spent a lot of time figuring out, you know, there could be a lot of confusion. Now, I, I think the industry is getting more sophisticated and people are seeing what other people are doing and they're, you know, and, and they're learning it. But uh, but it makes it crucial for people like you who help sort through the, all the great uh, different options, uh, you know, that could uh, cause confusion for people because there's so many of them. Yeah, well, I, you're, what you just said is true. It's certainly been good for business. The more the landscape has expanded, the more of a necessity there is for people like us. You know, certainly there are still do-it-yourselfers, and that's perfectly appropriate for someone who's really clear of where they want to go, and they know the manager who works at the firm they want to go to, and it's simple and easy. But yes, the expanded landscape and ecosystem and the amount of permutations and and combinations that are possible that someone needs to explore. It's not just saying, oh, I want to be independent, so I'll call Schwab. It's, do I want to take on a service provider? Do I need a platform provider? Do I need a tech company? Do I need a consultant? I mean, there's a hundred different things to think about, and that's all within our purview. So yes, good for business. But while yes, it can be overwhelming, And yes, my whole job, our whole job is about simplifying that process, taking what can be very confusing and simplifying it. For me, it comes down to from where I sit, the clearer someone is about what's driving the bus, the drivers, the, you know, the, the motivating factors, the pushes and pulls, the less complicated the, or overwhelming it is to identify one, if they should make a move, and then if they decide to move, where they should go. Our firm, we created a 20-question self-assessment, if you will, and I'd be happy to send it to anybody who asked for it. But this is a wonderful way. Uh, we have advisors that that answer the questions, and they can either do it themselves or they do it with us. But it's 20 questions that are provocative questions that really help an advisor to define the pushes and pulls and what do I want to be when I grow up and, you know, to really be able to sort of take what's a complicated and enormous solution set and bring it down to just a few options. Oh, that's great. That's great. So yeah, definitely reach out to me. How do you, is that something you email the people or is it an online yes. tool or, okay. Um, yeah, email. If they email me or you email me, I'd be happy to get it to whoever wanted it. Oh, that's great. That's great. So uh, any other last thoughts on, uh, on on deals, on tips, on do's and don'ts, uh, things you've seen work or uh, mistakes people make? Oh, my God. That's, I mean, unless you wanted to talk for the next couple of hours, and right. I don't think you do. Um, I think that, you know, I think to me, it's about congruence. And the more self-aware you are, the more likely you are to do the right deal. And um, I, while that sounds simple and simplistic, it's not meant to be even a little, but it is the right the right way to make sure you're heading in the right direction. And I operate as a professional deal maker from the assumption always that deals that are meant to get made, get made. I never look to force a solution. I will always speak my truth and detach from the outcome, even if it means I'm going to lose a deal or tank a deal. Um, and I think that as long as I live, I live by those things and I counsel people every day the way, the way I'd want to be counseled, I get a very good night's sleep most nights. I love that. I love that. So before I ask you my last question, uh, please let uh, the Fueling uh, Deals podcast listeners know the best place to reach you uh, and get information uh, about you. And also, you know, mention uh, your podcast, which uh, people should definitely know about. (laughs) 
Yeah, well, thank you. So our firm is Diamond Consultants, and you can reach us on the web at diamond-consultants.com. You can email me directly at mdiamond at diamond-consultants.com or by phone at 908-879-1002. I also post, I write a blog every week and that gets posted on LinkedIn if you wanted to connect with me there uh, and we're on Twitter as well. But Corey, thank you for mentioning. I launched a podcast last, uh, actually November of seventeen with the intention of doing five episodes. It's called Mindy Diamond on Independence. And the, um, the, the impetus for it was because so many of these advisors that are working for the big brokerage firms wanted to understand what all the hoopla was about independence. Why would somebody go independence? What are the economics behind it? What are the different versions, et cetera? So I figured I would do five episodes to answer those questions. And here we are now a little over a year in, and I just recorded my 34th episode. We've got 26,000 listeners and it's growing exponentially. And I'm humbled by the response to it, but I think what it really proves is how hungry the advisor community is for information that they find it hard to get. So even this podcast is that kind of information that people are just really hungry for. Well, I'll tell you, uh, listeners, uh, if you don't know the podcast industry, um, you know, you may be less impressed uh, at what Mindy's talking about and taking something that she intended to be five episodes and now be 30 plus in and, you know, a year and change because the majority of podcasts actually run less than 15 episodes. People get excited about them. It's the opposite. People get excited about them. They think they're going to do them for a long time and then they and then they don't work. So, uh uh, so the the uh, the momentum that Mindy's podcast have uh, has is impressive, and knowing Mindy, I am not surprised because there's nothing that she does that doesn't uh, you know that, that isn't done in the right way, and 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 uh, I'm not surprised that it has traction. So uh, my last question, you know, it's interesting. I, I have a last question I ask all my podcast guests on the Fueling Deals podcast, and to a large extent, I think you've addressed it, which is unusual. And that is, you know, I, I call it authenticity. Uh, I'm a big believer in authenticity, and authenticity is not just about ethics or anybody's morals, but it's about uh, alignment within a truth, you know, with what you're here for or what you've already talked to, talked about as being, you know, congruence, right? Um, so uh, usually I ask people, hey, you know, how do you make sure that your, uh, your deals and how you work with clients and how you run your businesses are, you know, uh, are authentic? And, you know, to a large part, you've answered that. So maybe I'll drill down on it a little more to say, uh, like practically, how do you like? I know it's clear that's your philosophy, not only with your own firm, but how you deal with with clients. But what are the practical things? I and mean, it's so easy for us to get thrown off, right? You know, so you know, do you meditate? Do you, uh, you know, do you take time? Do you take walks? Do, you know, like what what are the techniques you use to make sure that you stay congruent or authentic in the way you operate in your business and life? Yeah, oh, I love that question. So yes, I meditate every day. I started four plus years ago, um, I had a major panic attack, just out literally that took me by surprise out of nowhere, um, a paralyzing panic attack. And um, I went to see the doctor and he said, you have a case of DTM doing too much <laughs> and said that if you don't make some real changes in your life, it's going to keep on happening. 
And so I went home and because I'm a doer and I went on my iPad and I Googled some guided meditations and it started to speak to me. And four and a half years later, it is something I wouldn't do without. And I do every day and it gives me enormous clarity and alignment and all the stuff I'm talking about. Um, and it makes me a better everything, a better me, more kind to myself, a better friend, certainly a better recruiter for sure. Um, and it, I, I guess the thing with me for authenticity, it's not a thing. It's not a methodology. It's just my truth. I mean, that's really what it is. I'm living just who I am and it's not forced. It's not fake. It's not, um, it doesn't require training or a strategy. It's, I know the business well, and I marry my knowledge of the business with my clarity, if you will, around um, alignment, around, you know, living a good life. And I know the right questions to ask. So it's marrying skill with clarity, I suppose, um, that sort of gives the output. But I'll tell you, for me, it's the easiest and most natural thing I do. Yeah, I mean, the, the way I look at it is that at some point, it becomes something you're, you know, you don't really need to think about it, it becomes a way of being. Hundred percent. That's yes. You said it in less words than I did, but one hundred percent. That is correct. It's a way of being. It's just who I am. That's great, Mindy. I so appreciate having you on the show. It's so great. It was so great to have you. I loved it. Thank you. My honor and pleasure. Fantastic. And thank you, Fueling Deals listeners, for tuning in. Remember, there's only one difference between companies that grow inorganically and those that don't, and it's unrelated to size, amount of capital, or any other factor other than that the owners and executives of companies that do deals make a decision to do deals, and then they take action. Well, it's time to refuel. So until next week, Corey Kupfer signing out. Thank you again for tuning in. Be sure to leave Fueling Deals a rating and review on iTunes and Google. Check out all our episodes at fuelingdeals.com to find out more resources to accelerate your business growth. 